You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jason and Jamie. This is episode 236, and today Jason and I are going to talk about the question, is it okay or good for a couple to live together before marriage? This is a question that comes up fairly often as this is a very strong idea or belief that's out there in the world. And the, the idea goes something like this. When you buy a car, you test drive it before you buy it, before you purchase it. Um, and that's true for so many other things as well. In fact, most things, uh, before you buy it, uh, you test it out. And so the theory goes that in a relationship, in a dating relationship, you do the same thing. Uh, you see if you're compatible with somebody sexually. You see if you can live together in a healthy, productive way. And then you get married. At least this is the perspective that our culture and really the, the world uh, presents today. This is not just an American thing. This is a, well, you could say Western world thing, I suppose. Uh, so European idea as well. Um, you see it even in places like Australia and New Zealand, uh, the same kind of logic. So um, maybe you could think of it more as an Anglophile um, viewpoint in those parts of the world. And so the question is, um, is that actually a good way of thinking? Or is that, especially as a believer, a way to view this sort of thing? And, you know, there's, there's really two sides to the argument uh, from a Christian side perspective or from a loosely Christian perspective, maybe we should say, uh, which is to say, well, if you're committed to somebody in your heart, then essentially it's the same as marriage, right? So it's not a big deal. Or the um, opposite, which we were talking about before starting this episode, the, the argument that, well, a boyfriend and girlfriend can live together in a platonic way and just see if they play house well together. Um, so is that a legitimate perspective? And Obviously, I, I think you really have to you really have to question uh, this idea both from a biblical and moral lens, but also from a result perspective as well. Um, what we see is played out when people live together, they are actually less likely to get married, and or if they do get married, they have a significantly higher divorce rate than those who do not. Um, and I would, you know, add into that, um, there's a lot of other factors that, you know, we recognize. So we're not saying it's just straight up, oh, they live together. There's some other factors that come into play as well. Like if you have a lot of sexual partners, we recognize statistically, you're more likely to not commit or not stay committed once committed in a marriage relationship. So we're not pretending like, you know, it's just an open and shut. This one thing is at the root of all of it. But there is a, a big connection 
Um, and that's before you even get to what the Bible teaches uh, in relationship to God's good design. Um, so, Jason, how do you begin to discuss this question when somebody brings it up? Yeah, I think it's you brought up the, the good point that the the rationalizations that usually come about in a conversation like this is, you know, it's good to try something before you buy. It's good to, you know, to take take it out for a test drive. And I just think about, like, I mean, think of how dehumanizing that language actually is. Like, when you are trying out a car and taking it for a test drive, makes total sense because you're using it and it's bringing about something for your goals. Uh, but you're not serving the car. You're not loving the car, at least not in the human relationship sense. Uh, in, and it's not, there's nothing, there's nothing truly intimate, obviously, about that. And so I think it's just helping people reorient their thinking because, as you said, you know, even though conventional wisdom would say it makes sense to make sure you're sexually compatible, you know, as long as we are good in bed, then therefore the other things are going to work out okay, um, which is actually just kind of an outright lie because when you, when you look at the statistics about this, those who have had multiple sexual partners and in theory would be really good at sex are in actual fact more likely to have relational issues in the long term, including divorce, but not just divorce. Um, there's also higher rates of abuse, uh, domestic violence, all kinds of things when you have more than one sexual partner or when you live together before being married. And so those are just some things to think about. Um, the other side of it is we cannot think about sex at all in the biblical sense without thinking of the marriage covenant. Because obviously God created sex, so, you know, the orgasm and the genitalia that God created, all of that is his idea. It's what God said is very good from the beginning. So we don't want to, Christians should not be stumbling through or embarrassed to talk about sex because sex is God's creation, okay? It's a good thing. And so we don't want to shame people for being sexual beings, for being sexual creatures, but we have to guide them. We have to tell them, look, this this thing that you call sex is not just recreation. It is It involves procreation. So uh, life can only come, human life only comes about one way, and that's through having intercourse. And if you're just treating intercourse as this is going to be a fun activity, it'll be good, good, enjoyable experience. Uh, I like her, she likes me. That's not, according to the Bible, that's, that's a really low understanding of sex. You're actually demeaning something that God created to be this beautiful, amazing, sacred act that creates life. And, and just think about this, when you're not married, or, or I'll back up. When you are married, and uh, like for instance, when my wife told me we're going to have a baby, that was an awesome experience. You know, we're we're expecting number four here in just a little bit, and that is an awesome thing because we're married. <laughs> if we weren't married, it's more. It, it's not a celebration. Oftentimes, at least, it's it's a oh no moment. Like, what have we done? And think about it, bringing a baby into this world, that that should not be an oh no moment. That should not be a, oh, we blew it. 
that should be a time of celebration. That should not be a time of um, fear of of all the uh, things that could go wrong or how that might that that baby that new life might cause friction in your relationship. That should not at all be the mindset. And so, if we treat sex as just this kind of mechanical thing that it's 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 a great time together, and uh, and you know the try before you buy mindset. Uh, what you what you do is you end up kind of writing everything on the sexual relationship, and then you start undermining all those important relational aspects and those qualities that make for a good long term relationship and a healthy marriage in the long term. Like for instance, you undermine respect for one another because inherently uh, you are you are not looking out for one another's long-term good, at least in this aspect, um, self-control. When you are married, you're, you're going to want to know that your spouse has self-control. Well, if all the time leading up to the wedding day, they didn't show any self-control in this area, you know what? That's going to be a cause for distrust. There's going to be relational issues because you didn't exercise self-control leading up to the marriage. Um, sensitivity to one another's needs. If it's really just I need to make sure we're compatible, it's less about how can I make sure that I'm serving my my spouse. How can I make sure I'm I'm sensitive to her needs or his needs? And instead, it's about I just want to make sure it it feels right, you know. And it's it's a very self centered motivation uh, to look at things in that way. And and when you base so much on your sexual relationship. And the living together, uh, jumping the gun before getting marriage, all of that. Um, I'm, there's no doubt that you you might have great sex. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. You might, in fact, in some cases, you might have more intense sex because what happens for a lot of couples is uh, you have because you don't have that stability in marriage, you're you're gonna be up and down so much, and so there's gonna be the need for the makeup sex. If you have that mindset, and then what happens is because you're basing so much on on the on are we making up through sex? Are we still good in this arena? Again, you're chipping away at are we taking care of one another's souls? Are we nourishing one another in ways that'll matter for the long term? Because you've based so much on the physical aspect, you are undercutting those aspects of marriage that you're going to need for the long haul. So that's the first thing I'd want to help them see is the covenantal aspect of marriage is so important because it puts the focus on the right things of the intimacy within a safe, secure, committed relationship for the long term rather than on physical, sexual compatibility. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think it's also worth you know noting that even this idea of sexual compatibility is a scam because it, it's not a thing. If you talk to any couple ever who have gotten um, together with their spouse and they will basically all tell you that it wasn't that great the first time. I mean, yes, it was enjoyable or whatever, but there's a process there that you have to come to know uh, your spouse, come to understand them, come to engage them in those ways. And and especially um, 
you know, this is this is more observationally than it is data driven. But what people who were with multiple uh, had multiple sexual partners before marriage, what they often tell you is they actually had a harder time because they came into their marriage relationship or with their spouse with a preconceived idea of how this is supposed to go and and what like oh well i had this past girlfriend that enjoyed whatever so i apply that to my wife and well guess what they're not the same people and um so you actually see that not only does it not actually accomplish you know any sort of proficiency or skill level that's useful uh, but it 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 doesn't even prove the underlying thesis um, by that standard, uh, you would never marry anybody because if it wasn't necessarily the best or that great the first time or the first couple times, then by that line of thinking, that should be the end of it, right? Oh, you move on to somebody else because we weren't compatible. That's not really a thing. And, and here's the, I think, bigger point to that. Men and women are not compatible, that's just a fact. I mean, it, it's a beautiful fact, actually. And it's a good fact. Um, I, I heard a comedian recently say, you know, his favorite thing about a woman is that she's not a dude. There's a lot of truth to that, right? It's, it's not compatible, but that's actually a good thing. That's actually a blessing. And that's actually God's design is that two people come together and become one and they bring their strengths to the table on each side and guess what do you get beautiful balance right that's a good thing and that's all God's design and it is a spiritual thing uh, the the Bible refers to this as oneness right a man uh, leaves his father and mother and joins with his wife and the two become one flesh it's a it's a uh, it's a very spiritual thing. And also, it's a picture of the gospel itself that, you know, the Apostle Paul flushes out for us in Ephesians chapter 5, where he really shows us that, yes, he's talking about marriage, but not really, right? He's actually talking about Christ and his church. And there is a aspect of the spiritual oneness of marriage that actually encourages us to the Lord and that's per design and you lose all that when you're jumping around from relationship to relationship to relationship becoming one and then breaking off and and that point uh, you made Jason is really profound when it comes to the actual bonding aspect um, it is a physiological fact that multiple sexual partners actually causes, uh, they, they call it neurological confusion in the brain. And the result of that neurological confusion is you don't actively bond. So the more sexual partners you have, the less and less likely you are to bond with a spouse at some point in life. Um, that isn't to say God cannot heal that. It isn't to say, you know, God's design for the brain uh, can't overcome that. But it is to say that it's a very hard process to get there. And so 
you, you take a couple, a man and a woman who get married and sexually engaged for the first time after marriage, they're able to bond in a much more profound way, much quicker than a couple that's been married 20 years, but had a lot of sexual relationships prior to marriage. Um, those guys still struggle to bond. And, and you really do see it, um, to your point, you do see it in, in couples and in relationships that it seems those who engaged in a lot of sexual relationships prior to marriage, they have significantly more challenges and battles in marriage than those who don't. Um, which, again, if the world's wisdom was right here, then they should actually be the better prepared ones for marriage, and and they're actually not. And and then I think the the kind of third aspect to that is living together without marriage, meaning there's no actual commitment, actually teaches you, hey, you can enjoy all the benefits of marriage without any commitment or without any responsibility and ultimately without any cost, right? Because if I decide, eh, I'm tired of serving this person, um, then I can just walk and there's no, uh, there's no consequence to that at all. Um, and, and so it doesn't lead to a more committed attitude. It doesn't lead to greater love and service. It doesn't do any of the, any of the things that biblical marriage is designed uh, to do. Yeah, and for the Christian, I mean, the number one thing, the bottom line is, what does Scripture have to say about this? And and God is is just so so clear uh, that sexual immorality is to be absolutely avoided. First um, Thessalonians four says, um, "This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality." And um, you know, I think of we're in the Advent season right now, and I think of even the Christmas story itself. And how it talks about Mary, uh, I mean, it's it's a sad commentary, but here you have a young woman who is a virgin, and the sad commentary is how many um, Christians would not qualify as uh, being the virgin who who carries the Messiah uh, because because they didn't take their um, sexual purity seriously, and this was a time that this obviously Mary took her sexual purity seriously. She uh, was a virgin at the time, and uh, and yet she was marriageable age because we know she was already betrothed to Joseph. So in her mindset, it, it wasn't a question of, you know, can Joseph and I jump the gun? Uh, you know, that culture at that time, of course, supported that thinking that you need to wait till marriage. Uh, so that was certainly a help. But I find it fascinating that Joseph, you know, he's he's getting ready to divorce her because he thinks she got pregnant, or in other words, was with a man um, outside of their wedlock. And you just think about that, like, that's how seriously they took it back then. And even then at the, at the end of it where Joseph is, you know, Gabriel, or I should say the angel, we don't know which, which angel, but the angel comes to Joseph and clears things up for him and says, look, she's a virgin, she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She's going to have the Messiah. She's going to save you from your sins, Joseph. Then it says, Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
So just just imagine this, like Joseph is caring for Mary. He's willing to bear the reproach of the community alongside Mary, um, not because they are actually sleeping together, but because they are, uh, but because it looks that way on one level because she's pregnant, but they're still remaining chaste. They're, they're remaining sexually pure. And he is willing to, to, to hold the distance, to hold off, to not awaken love before it's time, as Song of Solomon talks about, uh, because he understands the gravity of the situation. And I think that's something that Christians today just need to take a lesson from Joseph and Mary, that sexual purity before marriage really does matter. Um, it's not a light thing. It's not something where, you know, only this, you know, this rare breed of, of strange Christians or, you know, the, the nerdy Christians has to follow that. This is what should be normative for all Christians in our thinking is we need to follow God's design for marriage, for sex. If we go outside the bounds of the covenant of marriage before we get married, then we're going to be already hurting the foundation of our marriage before we even get married, because we're, we're saying, God, your, pl- your rules don't apply to me before I get married. And so the question is going to be, why, does, why do they suddenly apply once you are married? Um, and the last thing I was going to add was, if, if this was you know, a, an issue that uh, has come up before, and, and maybe right now you're living with, who knows, maybe you're listening to this and you're, you're Christian and you, you know, you're claiming to follow Jesus, but you're living with, uh, someone before getting married. And your, your objection might be, look, we love each other. We're committed to one another. We are, uh, we are right for each other. Everybody says so. And we're going to get married. We, in fact, we even have a, a date in mind of when we're going to get married. So what could be wrong about that? We're not sleeping around with a bunch of people. And for that, I would just want to take you to places like Hebrews 13. And this is really important. It says, so if you, if you, if you care about this person that you're currently living with, here, here's a word for you. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So that word sexually immoral is porneia, and it's it's literally the word for all sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. And so if if I'm going to uh, speak words of truth and life to you, and if I'm going to love you best, I'm going to say to you, you do not want to defile the marriage bed. If, especially if you're thinking, I want to stay married to this person, I love them, we're so committed to each other, then the best thing, if you want that marriage to really last, is to not defile the marriage bed, to not, uh, to not, and if you've been sleeping together, obviously, then remember this, Christ died for all sin, all sin. So even, even the ones where, you know, we're talking about, we're addressing this one today, you know, he, he bore the shame and the guilt for all that sin. So, so don't think, oh, well, we've already blown it. So might as well keep going with it. No, now is the perfect time to repent of that sin, acknowledge it's wrong, confess it and seek the forgiveness of the Lord. He will wipe you. He will wash you clean. And while you aren't physically a virgin, 
there's a real sense in which you can be made a spiritual virgin again because of what the Bible says about you being made righteous in his sight. You know, Jesus's righteousness applied to you. Well, Jesus was a virgin. He was perfectly sexually pure. So if you have his righteousness attached to your name, guess what? It does matter how you live now because you're you're standing where where he deserves and uh, because he stood on the cross where you and I deserve. And so that's a great gift. We don't want to take that lightly. And so um, if you have been feeling ashamed about this, know that there is grace for you. And what Jesus wants you to do is, is to turn your back on that sin you've been, you've been giving yourself over to and be courageous. Be courageous. Seek the Lord's strength and talk to your, I guess the word now is partner. I don't really like that word, but because you're not married, I can't say spouse. Girlfriend or boyfriend or, or uh, fiance, talk to them about your convictions. Don't let this rest because, again, if you really love this person and you really want this marriage that's in the future to thrive and last, then you will take this seriously today before the wedding date. Yeah, it's a great point. And and I think to underscore, Jason, part of the argument there is by following God's way, you will have a much um a much better chance in marriage. Uh, obviously, you know, it all comes down to your willingness to seek the Lord, your willingness to love and serve another person. And so it's not like, a, oh, if I'm sexually pure before marriage, then of course marriage is going to be perfectly awesome with no bumps in the road and no challenges and no, you, you know, we still have to battle those parts of us. The, there are the, the areas in which we love to serve and then there are areas where we find, you know, selfishness and and we got to take that to the Lord and, and root that out and, and heed the counsel of God's word. But the other side, though, well, I mean, where it really comes into play is just going back to what um, Jason said towards the beginning is that preparing yourself to be faithful now actually benefits long term in marriage where when I'm, when I have those disciplines, um, in place in my life and I'm seeking the Lord to be able, uh, to have those disciplines in my life, then in marriage, it's not going to be a new skill I have to learn now where it's like, wait, I'm only committed to my wife. I'm only being faithful to her or to my husband. I'm only being faithful to them. It's, that's already, uh, the, the muscle you have, right? The muscle memory you have is, okay, I seek the Lord and I can walk and live in a faithful way. Uh, that That's going to play off. And and I want to throw in here, you know, part of this discussion needs to be on things like pornography and stuff that, you know, very often are present prior to marriage and then get taken into marriage. Uh, we, we recognize this is a huge problem for a lot of men and it's a, it's a problem for a lot of women uh, as well. Um, I think the most recent stats I've seen on that is 69% of men struggle with these things in some, some form or fashion to some degree, whether full on addiction or just a regular battle. Um, and for women, it's something like 30, uh, 36%, I think it was, or 39%, something like that. So it's pretty significant 
uh, percentage there as well, which also, uh, you know, shout out to the women that do have those struggles because they very often are more ashamed to, to um, seek out, you know, sisters in Christ for help because that's viewed as a male only issue. And it's not. Uh, it's legitimately something women can have challenge with as well. Um, and all of that only brings damage to marriage. You know, the, the resolution to it is not sex and marriage. Uh, the resolution to it is seeking the Lord and following the counsel of God's word as it relates to getting away from uh, sin and to the Lord and away from, you know, those things. Um, we are, and, and this applies to, you know, sex outside of marriage as well. We don't fight the sin. The, the Bible calls us not to fight it. It calls us to flee from it. Uh, we don't fight it because literally when we're fighting it, we're actively working against God's very design for our bodies, for our brains, right? If you, if you put yourself in the position, there's no such thing as, oh, I'm so spiritual that I won't sin. Uh, there's no such thing as I'm able, I'm strong enough to, to fight it. Um, I think one of the paradigms that I've, I've often found helpful in, in terms of keeping that humility in your heart in this, in this respect is to understand, you know, the, the wisest man in the Bible, um, he fell into sin in this area. The strongest man in the Bible fell into sin in this area and the man after God's own heart. And it's kind of a cliche that, you know, we we banter around oftentimes, but there's a lot of truth to recognizing that, that what was the problem they all shared? Well, they worked, actively worked against God's very design, right? It wasn't like any of the three of them just up and said, no, nah, I'm going to go sin now. I am tired of obeying the Lord. I'm tired of seeking uh, God's good design. It's they put themselves in the position they should not have been in. And the result of that was they ended up falling into sin. Um, and and I, I say all that because I think it's really important to recognize that this isn't about a strength thing and it's not about a spiritual thing. It's God literally gives us the advice he gives us because he designed us and, and he knows how we work. If we get into that position, it's not going to go well. Hence the, the biblical command to flee from uh, this sin, flee from sexual immorality, right? Get away from every aspect of it as much as possible. I know it's, it's a challenge living in a very sexually saturated world, but, uh, but we're called to do that as, as much as possible. We flee it, we fight it, we seek the Lord, uh, we avoid temptation as much as uh, possible, even in our language, right? Our speech, uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 3, I think, talks about coarse joking, right? Or sexual joking. Uh, we shouldn't even be doing that. Um, so as much as we can, yeah, we get away from it. Yeah, and when it comes to not even having a hint of sexual immorality, that same exact passage, you know, when you talk about living together, if if a couple claims, oh, we're living together, but we're staying sexually pure, even if I did believe you, which I don't. Even if I did, uh, what is what that is is it, that is a hint of sexual immorality. That's more than a hint, actually, if you're living together. So uh, the point is, we are to be above reproach in the way we live our lives and be pointing to the hope of the gospel. 
And if by living together outside of a covenant boundary, um, you're, you're actually denigrating the gospel because the marriage covenant is to be a picture of the gospel. And if you're saying, um, that doesn't, uh, that has no say over how I'm expressing myself sexually, as long as we're consenting adults, all of that, then, then you actually are, uh, you're denigrating the gospel in that sense. And, um, the, the last thing I'd, I'd want you to know is all that God gives us in the terms of commands, they are not rules for rules sake. God is a father. And so when he gives us rules, it's like when I tell my kids not to put their fingers in the electrical socket. It's like when I tell them to look both ways before they cross the street. It's because I love them. Isaiah 47, 17, uh, maybe this is a good place to end, says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. And I think that's what we need to hear when we think about this subject. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.